0: The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501c3 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of new media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation which is fully tax deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com.
1: In our first episode of the series, Freedom from Anxiety, we looked at how to close doors to the enemy and the enemy's attacks. We looked a lot at the fact that anxiety is not from God. We looked at unforgiveness of mom and dad, of ourselves, of God. We looked at soul ties. And today we're going to look at this final open door, we might call it, the predominant fault. We're going to look at identifying our patterns and our vices through historical emotions. We're going to look at the real battle and the real authority, and so how to work with the Holy Spirit for deep and lasting rest, the peace that passes understanding. I'm Sonia Corbett, the Bible Study Evangelista. Stay tuned. I read a post this week from a friend who was complaining about people who do podcasts and radio shows and all that and how they ramble through the first bit and they always fast forward through the commercials and the rambling. So I'm just going to jump right in and I'll ramble later. (laughs) We're talking today about the predominant fault and we're talking about sin because sin is a major open door to the enemy. Now, we all know that, and none of us would say that we're perfect, and so a lot of times we sort of marginalize sin, especially sins that we repeat over and over in two ways. One, that it's really small and it doesn't matter, or two, if we do repeat it over and over, it's not something we can really help, and we've just learned to live with it, but the problem is that sin causes anxiety, especially when it's sin that is rooted in woundedness, which most sin is. But also just sin itself, when there is a pattern of sin that lays down psychological and emotional ruts, we'll say. And in fact, uh, in my morality class this week, it was interesting because our whole subject was sin, providentially, I'm sure. But it was interesting that the reading put forth this idea that the Bible puts forth itself, that sin has its own thingness It's a stain, the Bible says. And so there's a stain, psychologically, emotionally, and theologically, a stain that God can actually see. Now, we don't see it, but we feel the effects. We're depressed. We're anxious. We worry. We get trapped in these hamster wheels and these knots of just harassing thoughts that go on and on and on so many of us just cannot turn off our thoughts we don't know how to just stop them so not in this show but probably next week we're going to start talking about how to cut those thoughts off how to stop that cycle of thoughts but my point really is that you have to begin with sin because sin you know, it's this idea, I grew up with this idea of sin, of missing the mark, and that's actually what the word means, but it's, it's more than just not being perfect. The metaphor that's used there is a bullseye, and the mark is the center, and if you sin, then you have missed the center of the bullseye. Well, I'll be honest, I mean, when I was learning that, I'm like, well, you know, nobody hits the bullseye. Nobody's perfect, and so why all this excitement, you know, about about especially small things? You know, we, we don't think about small sins really mattering, but they do have this idea of a stain, a stain that God can see, and there's a stain even in us that causes all kinds of turmoil, and if you're trapped in any sort of sin that you don't feel you have any control over... I guarantee that that is a major source of your anxiety. So we talked through social media about the predominant fault, and it's important to look at that predominant fault because that is typically where our habits of sin lie. And so I gave you several steps to identifying your predominant fault. The first one was to ask the Holy Spirit for light and then ask which of the capital vices is most comfortable in me and We went through the whole list of the seven capital vices. Uh, Then ask your spouse or your spiritual director. The people who are close to you know what your main pattern of sin is. And step four was, in what area am I most consistently tempted? Now, this whole um, series on social media on finding that predominant fault was uh, Father Lagrange. He is or was a wonderful uh, priest, but also major writer of spiritual direction and he wrote um i think it was the three stages of the interior life it's a huge two volume set of books on all kinds of things but this was an idea that i really appreciated when i read that about this predominant fault idea and so there are seven capital sins and the word capital just means head they are the deadly sins they are the sins that all the other sins come from And they are pride, greed, wrath, envy, lust, gluttony, and sloth or laziness. And so, typically, because everything in the universe repeats in patterns, we have planetary orbits, we have seasons, we have weather, we have DNA, we have waves, we have day and night, we have flower petals. All of those things repeat in patterns, and so does human behavior your behavior, if you look back over your life, you can see that there is a particular pattern to your sin. You fall into a particular sin, but also you fall into that particular sin in particular situations. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when God first began dealing with me on my capital sin of anger, it was not something I had to go look for. I knew very clearly that this was, I didn't know it was a predominant fault, but I knew that this was my main sin. I, I just didn't know how serious it was. I was focused on things like smoking and over drinking and, you know, those kinds of things when God was far more interested in this predominant fault idea because all of that stuff came out of the anger issue, which I didn't know in the beginning. All I knew is that God came to me In my daily scripture reading on day 26, when I first started the habit, as a Baptist, we didn't have any kind of sacrament, so there was only one way to get in touch with God and to have a relationship with him, and that was in the scriptures, and so I wanted to know God. I wanted to understand um, what I really wanted was to make him proud of me, but I didn't know any of that at the time, all I knew is that this is what I needed to be doing, and I didn't want to be in trouble with God, <laughs> so so I started this daily scripture time, and as I've said in, in my talks, if you've ever seen me speak in person, you've probably heard this story, but I started doing this this daily scripture habit in the morning, which I slept through in the beginning because I had to get up so early to do it. I was working, and this was before I had kids. I had just been married. I was getting up really early to try to do it, and I'm, I wasn't a morning person then at all, and I would get up and try it, and I'd fall asleep. But I, I kept trying to stay with it. But then I got frustrated because nothing was happening. You know, I mean, all I heard was if, if you read the Bible, God will show up. Well, I had been reading the Bible, and then God had not showed up. So I went to my mentor and I said, "I said this, this nothing's happening here. I just this is, feels like a waste of time." And she said, "Well, how long have you been doing it?" And I said, "Well, five days." <laughs> and she said, "No, you got to go back." So I. I determined that I was going to stay with it and God showed up in on day 26 of my practice. And I know it was day 26 because I was reading one proverbs per one proverb per day of the month. There's one proverb for every day of the month. Um, And on day 26 in Proverbs 26 verse 11, it says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. And so there we have the idea of a sin pattern which is likened to vomit in the scriptures which I know that that seems very coarse to a lot of people but it's in the Bible y'all and it really resonated with me because my anger erupted out of me a lot like that it was it felt uncontrollable it felt you couldn't hold it back you didn't know when when it was coming except that you could you could you know quickly feel it rising and there was not a whole lot I I felt that I could do to control it and so it would just erupt out of me and so I thought that is the greatest metaphor ever for my situation and I just felt like the Lord was saying very plainly to me this is about you and of course I knew it was I mean I could feel it I understood it as a dog returns to his vomit so a fool repeats his folly and it was just the most disgusting visual there that described my behavior and it was on day 26 and I realized that there is a pattern and I started to see that right away as soon as I read that verse I started to think about it and I'm like you know there really is a pattern to this now I didn't understand then the roots of that which were in my father wound but I did know that I had a habit of explosive anger with other people with inanimate objects, I mean, you name it, I just had a very short fuse, and because I am a naturally passionate person, I just assumed, and, and I grew up that way, I mean, my father had explosive anger, and he's Italian, and so am I, and I just, you know, that's how people are, and so I just assumed that that was just something that, that I, it was just part of my personality, and, you know, I can't change it. Well, God confronted me right there, and pretty much, it looked very plain that I was supposed to change it and so I asked God I said you know I don't know where this comes from I don't I don't know how to do anything about this and very quickly he gave me what I call the stop tool out of Psalm 44. the stop tool when we get back
0: tune in, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts.
2: Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your love the word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at Bible Study Evangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia.
1: quickly for the quality of the sound. I'm actually on the road in Baton Rouge, Louisiana this weekend and I'm doing the show from the hotel room and the power actually went off so that's interesting but the sound is a little different and there's some popping and I'm sorry about that but it's the microphone that I'm using here on the road. So the stop tool is in Psalm 44 and I actually gave you this tool on social media. In the past couple of weeks I've been doing a whole lot of posting on tools for you and if you're not going to be able to get everything that I'm offering here on the show. You really need to get on social media and find me on Instagram, Bible Study Evangelista or Facebook, Sonia Corbett, and check those posts out. It's, it's important for a couple of reasons. I can't give you everything that I have to offer in these 48-minute shows, first of all. But secondly, I need your feedback. I need you to tell me what's working for you or what you need to see more information on so that I kind of know how to help you uh, in case you need more help in a particular area. So the stop tool is Psalm 44. Be angry, but sin not. Commune with your own heart on your bed and be silent. Offer the right sacrifice and put your trust in the Lord. Now, when I read that, I was struck by a couple of things. First of all, I had no idea that it was possible to be angry and not sin. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't know that. And in fact, when I read it, I was like, hmm, how, how's that possible, Lord? But he gives us the way right here in the verse. S, the stop tool is S D O P. so S is sin not. Now, this works for anger, it works for gluttony, it works for envy, it works for any of those vices, lust, pride, greed, laziness, any of that. Sin not is the first step, and it's, I realize that it's kind of hard to do that, and in fact, when I got this tool, I was a little frustrated because I didn't get this information until, you know, after I had exploded. And so I would go to God after, you know, pop quizzes, and I would say, I wish you would help me before I get out of control, <laughs> you know. And so I asked the Holy Spirit to just guard my mouth and to to check my spirit before I acted out in anger, even though I was angry, to check me before I reacted so that I didn't sin. And the Holy Spirit will help you. Another thing I know now as a Catholic is you should ask your guardian angel for help here. Because your guardian angel, this is what they do. They love helping us with this. And they try to help us. And and a lot of times we're not listening to them. But we sin not. S is sin not. And then T is tell God. Commune or meditate with your own heart on your bed and be silent. So we get in a quiet place and we tell God everything. So it says to meditate, but what we're really doing here is praying. We're praying to God, and we're telling him everything about the situation. This is how I feel. This is what made me feel this way. And then we offer the right sacrifice. It says in verse 5, offer the right sacrifice. What is the right sacrifice in this situation, Lord? What do you want me to do? What's the best thing to do? 99% of the time, you don't know what to do in the situation because you haven't asked God. Now, James tells us that he who lacks wisdom should ask and God will give him wisdom. So if you need wisdom, which is the perspective of God on your situation, that's a very um, concise definition of wisdom. Biblical wisdom means God's perspective. You need God's perspective on your situation because if you don't get his perspective, you will act out of your flesh. You will act out of this capital sin, this sin habit that you have. You need God's perspective because a lot of times we see the situation irrationally because of woundedness. A lot of times we see the situation selfishly. Our perspective is skewed for so many reasons and a lot of baggage. So we need God's perspective always. So S is sin not. T is tell God. O is offer the right sacrifice. And we have to ask God for what that is. We don't know what it is all the time. And then once we have heard from him. Then we put our trust in God. P is put your trust in God. So the stop tool is sin not. Tell God. Offer the right sacrifice. And put your trust in God. And in doing that. When he gave me this tool. It gave me. The ability, now I didn't get it right off the bat, it took me a long time to practice this tool in order to get good at controlling my anger. Didn't mean I didn't still get angry, of course I did, and I still didn't know anything about the woundedness that lay, that lay underneath all of this anger that I had, but at least I had a tool to start getting control of myself, because that is exactly what this verse calls us to. Get control of your anger be angry but sin not. Now this as I said it works for every sin. This the stop tool and I want to say a word about anger. St. John Chrysostom says that he who is not angry when he has cause to be sins because excessive patience is the hotbed of many vices and it causes even the good man to do wrong. So anger in and of itself is not a sin. Being angry is not a sin. But exploding in anger on other people or pretending we're not angry and repressing the anger inside ourselves, which causes depression, that is sin. That's anger against another person or it's anger that's turned inward against ourselves. And both of those things are equally damaging and equally destructive and equally sinful. So we have to have a place to put it, don't we? We have to have a place to put our anger and all this emotion. And we're going to talk about that in a later show. But I want to give you this tool right now just to to show you that God is addressing this stuff in the Bible. He knows we get angry. He knows we are wounded. He knows we have a tendency to sin. And he knows that we're fallen human beings. But he still calls us to holiness. He still calls us to self-control. Remember last week when we, we looked at that verse... In Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So if you're not self-controlled, you're not operating in the spirit. And that's why he begins to confront us with our sin and our predominant fault, especially because most of our sin comes out of this predominant fault. Now, many of you were saying that you are having a hard time identifying what your predominant fault is or that you think you may have several and maybe you do I don't know that's a matter for you and the Holy Spirit you need to ask him we need to ask him everything don't ask me ask him ask the Holy Spirit he will give you what's called what I call a pop quiz he will give you a situation that provokes it and you'll probably just walk right into it and blow it that first several times until you start to recognize the pattern He offers pop quizzes in order to show us the pattern of our behavior. When we see the pattern, we can start using the stop tool. When we start to use the stop tool, we can start to get control of ourselves. Once we start to get control of ourselves, we can start dealing with the stuff that's underneath all of this sin. And we want to close the door on the sin by healing it. Because if God can heal the sin, then the door is closed and we don't fall into those sin patterns anymore. We're not anxious psychologically or emotionally or spiritually because That has been laid to rest. That's what the the Bible calls the old man. The old man does that stuff. The new man is a new creation in Christ. And so we are supposed to be walking in the Spirit. And we do that by working with the Holy Spirit to identify our patterns and our vices. So if you're having an issue with identifying your predominant fault, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask those people around you. It shouldn't be that hard, to be perfectly honest, but if it is and you're still having a problem, here's a hint. They all come from pride. All of the capital vices can be traced back to pride. We want our way, when we want it, how we want it. It's all pride. And here's the thing. A sin pattern, a habit of sin, a sin rut is suicidal. Now, John Paul II said that through sin, the self's internal balance is destroyed and replaced by contradictions and conflicts. Contradictions and conflicts is just another word for anxiety. And he talks about what's called a communion of sin. You know how we have a communion of saints, right? But there's also a communion of sin. And in in some, he's talking about the context of societal sin Or generational sin. And in all of those ways, we have these communions of sin with people. And sometimes we have sin habits that we like to do with other people. And that, my friend, is dangerous. When you're drawing someone else into your sin pattern, you're cooperating with the demonic in a mortal sin. And that can be sexual. It can be gluttony. It can be all kinds of things. Gossip is one. Lots of things that we get trapped into that are our habits of doing And we're doing them with other people. And so we're complicit in their sin. And we don't want to do that. I mean, that causes all kinds of worry, does it not? Because then if you're gossiping, you know that person's going to turn around and gossip about you as soon as your back is turned. So we don't want to get into that, right? So we really need to identify the predominant fault. And if you can't, then just notch it down to pride because they all go back to that. And I really want to point out that this is a very long process. I'm condensing all of this in, in several shows in, in about eight hours worth of material. But this kind of stuff takes a lifetime, especially this whole uh, your, your patterns and your woundedness and all this stuff. This healing takes a long time. But I'm trying to give you the tools to begin the work or to go deeper in the work that you've already begun so that the Holy Spirit can get access to those places that you've not considered yet as being a source of anxiety. That's the whole point of why I'm doing all this. And I'm walking you through basically what I do in a private one-on-one spiritual consultation. So you're getting, you're getting all that in these shows. More in a moment. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show, Bible study spirits that taste like cake.
2: Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia.
1: we looked at closing the open doors, specifically the door of unforgiveness. And I want to make, uh, just say a word on that quickly. Once the door of forgiveness is closed, reject any attempt by the enemy to tempt you to reopen it. And what I mean by that is don't dwell on it. Once it comes back up in your mind, that's a temptation. That's a temptation to get into the thinking again of the offense and the emotion of it. No, stop it. Put your hand out and say, I reject that in the name of Jesus and stop it don't allow the enemy to get you wrapped up in those thoughts of the offense and the emotion of the offense and the revenge and all that stuff that goes along with unforgiveness. The door is closed. If he brings to your mind sin that you have done in the past that is confessed, you put up your hand and you say, I reject that in the name of Jesus and you refuse to think about it because God has forgiven it. The Bible says that means it is cast as far as the east is from the west. God does not remember it any longer and so you should not either and when the tempter brings that thought to your mind stop stop do not think about it it's gone it's you may still be working through the consequences of your sin okay but it's forgiven it's forgiven so stop flagellating yourself over it and stop thinking about it it's over your peace is in the present moment not in the past and it's not in the future it's right now with God God exists in the present moment. The catechism says plainly that he is a he exists in one eternal moment. He exists in the in the now. Always I am, he says. So thinking about the past when it is over and done and forgiven is fruitless and it's anxiety producing. And thinking about things that could happen in the future is fruitless and anxiety producing. And remember, we talked about that idea of worry and how it strangles. I want to read you um, a portion of a quote by St. Augustine that I absolutely love. He says that to prevent the sheep from seeking assistance by her cries, the wolf seizes her by the neck and thus securely carries her away and devours her. The devil acts in a similar manner with the sheep of Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on to talk about sin, but I love this idea because that's exactly what the word anxiety or worry means in the scriptures we saw last week. It means to strangle or to choke. And so stop. Just stop it. You have control over your thoughts and emotions, and I'll give you tools next week to begin looking at that too. But it's important that we start to identify the predominant fault and we identify the patterns in our sin. We do that with the Holy Spirit by watching the pop quizzes that he gives us. When you have an eruption of emotion, when it's the kind of emotion that causes you to search out self-medication in particular areas, Maybe you have a sugar addiction, maybe you have an alcohol issue, maybe you have an anger issue, whatever it is, food, whatever that stuff is, whatever your thing is, right, you need to stop, get with God, you're going to sin not, you're going to tell him how you're feeling and you're going to sit there with him and try to identify what you're really feeling. What is underneath this? What has caused it? What am I thinking? What am I remembering? Is there a memory attached to this particular provocation? When is the first time I can remember feeling like this? Now, for me, that was a very easy process because my anger was so explosive and it was it was very obvious. It didn't happen all that often, but when it did, it was overwhelming and I was so ashamed when I fell into it because it was so destructive and, and internally I was in such turmoil and I was My stomach would get in knots. My heart was just, I mean, it was crazy. It was absolute craziness. You talk about anxiety. Now, honey, I lived it. I know. That's what sin does. It keeps us in these cycles of emotion and thought and memory. And so those kinds of things have to be healed. But we do that with the Holy Spirit and we do it on a day by day basis as he offers us pop quizzes. We don't realize that the crappy things that happen to us that provoke us in these ways are meant to get our attention. C.S. Lewis once said that pain is God's megaphone to a deaf world the longer you let these kinds of cycles go on the worse they get the more painful they are the more suffering they involve the more people they involve the more people they suck into the drama and the craziness i mean we all some of some of us live lives like that but all of us know someone that does it's just one drama after another and so the Holy Spirit offers us these situations that provoke this explosive emotion that causes some sort of outburst, or and, or it could be and, and or, cause us to seek self-medication. Now, when that happens, that's when you stop. You sin not, you tell God what you're feeling, and you sit with him, and you probe for the real emotion under that. What am I really feeling here? And what does this remind me of from the past? Is there a memory attached to this? And if there is, talk through it with the Holy Spirit. Let it come all the way up to the surface and tell him what you remember, how it felt. Ask him where he was. You can rage at God if you want to, whatever. But all of that stuff is meant to pull all of that to the surface so that it can be healed. It cannot be healed when we're still squashing it. So historical emotions, let me say a word about that. You can see now that sin has as much to do with things that we do as it does with things that have been done to us. So things that have been done to us are not things that we're guilty for, but the sins that come out of that woundedness. Are our responsibility. So you have to look at sin in both ways. And sin is not simply missing the mark. It's just not being imperfect. The definition of sin actually means quite a few things. To miss, lack, blame, mistake, forfeit. What do we forfeit when we sin? That's the big question. This is why we shouldn't sin. We forfeit grace. We forfeit peace. We forfeit rest. We forfeit all the things that we really desperately need that we're searching for. We forfeit when we sin. The major thought behind the word sin that you should be thinking of when you're thinking about whether or not to do it is that it's destructive. The essence of sin is its destructiveness and that's why we don't want to do it. It It is a It is an assault against our peace, and so it causes, it helps cause anxiety. I'm not saying it's the the main reason. I'm not saying that sin is the reason for your anxiety. I'm just saying that it contributes. We're looking at all the open doors here. I'm I'm just exploring all these options so that you can do that in God's presence, and you can find the root of your anxiety. And it's going to be one of these things. It's going to be a combination of these things, but definitely it's going to go back to, to woundedness because everything in humanity does. And so sin then causes woundedness. We sin against ourselves and other people, but then there have been sins against us too, and all of that contributes to a lack of peace. Now, I, I started on historical motions, and I want to go back to that. So as I was, as I was thinking about... This explosion of anger that I had had, it was a huge fight. It's in my book, Unleashed, but I, I had a huge fight with my husband. It was the biggest one we'd ever had. I had a blackout rage, and it was, thankfully, it was the only blackout rage I've ever had. But it was, it was scary, and I was so ashamed of myself, and I, I said to God, I don't care what you have to do. We have to do something about this. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know what I need, but I know you know. And so I just, I'm giving you permission to just do whatever it takes to make sure that I do not hand this on to my children. I do not want to destroy my marriage. I do not want to destroy my kids in this anger. And so I begged God, just whatever you have to do to me, I am open to that. I was willing to endure anything. And of course, I mean, I go to extremes in my thoughts. So I was just, I was thinking about being crucified with Christ, you know, as Paul says, but it turns out it wasn't nearly so dramatic. But I did find very quickly that there was this idea of historical emotions. My uncle died on my father's side and you know how funerals are. It's like supposed to be some kind of big bridge building thing, but it's just so stressful. So we went to the funeral for my uncle, and my dad was there, and I told you I had a father wound. So I went to the funeral, and sometime after the funeral, my dad asked to either to come to my room or for me to go to his, I can't remember which. But I remember he wanted to speak to me and we were in the bathroom. I don't know why we were in there, but we were in the bathroom and I was sitting on the edge of the tub and he was on the toilet and we were sitting knee to knee and he grabbed my hand and he was so close to me I could smell that he had either brushed his teeth or had a breath mint or something and, and I could smell his cologne. He was that close. And he he took my hand and he said, I just wanted you to know that I am sorry that I did not come to your wedding. And I I just, you know, I was like, wow. He said, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't come. I just, you were so young. I didn't want you to get married. I just knew you could be somebody, and you were just too young. And I felt something in me just kind of click into place, and I was very glad to have heard that, and it, it, was, it was a gift. So what do I do? I go home. And I picked this enormous fight with my husband. It was absolutely enormous. It was the black outrage. It was crazy. And that's when I just said to the Lord, I, I don't care what you have to do, I need help. I need help here. What is wrong with me? And and after that I was, it's not only that I had this eruption of anger, but I was irritable, I was depressed, my thoughts were erratic, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, and I remember writing in my journal, and I still have it to this day, where I gouged in the page with my pen, and I had been crying, so the page was wet, and my pen, I just gouged, I feel so worthless, you know, in in these huge letters, and I'll tell you what happened when we get back. You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show, Bible Study spears That Tastes Like Cake.
2: Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia.
1: about historical emotions and historical emotions are those that seem to blindsight us we we wonder where in the world did that come from and and what they are is it is an emotion that was repeatedly felt early in life that when you feel it again as an adult it skips all rationality it skips all the years and you're put exactly in the same place that you were at that time when it was so difficult and painful and it bypasses all rationality you you have no idea where it came from it's out of all proportion to the actual event and that's exactly what happened to me and I remember reading that going oh my word that's exactly that's exactly what happened to me and I was sitting there trying to identify when was it that this began this depression and this all of this yuck that was going on with me and how I you know, that fight and all that. When did all this begin? And it was the funeral. In that hotel room with my dad, you could have been somebody, but you weren't. And immediately I realized what it was. And I was so overtaken by God's goodness that he would put his finger right on it. And I just dissolved in this just, just amazement and pain and, and just, oh, I mean, can you tell it was, it was amazing. It was amazing that he brought that answer to me. Historical emotions are a thing. And so if you're one of those people that has had trauma in your life, and you can't figure out why you can't get past this behavior, look at historical emotions. And that's why I say when you have these eruptions, for me, it was anger that led to self-medication because of all the behavior that came out of that anger, you know, and I was so ashamed of it, then I got depressed, and then I had to self-medicate. But a lot of times, you'll have these eruptions of emotion, and you'll stuff them. You'll stuff them with food. You'll stuff them with sugar. You'll stuff them with wine. You'll stuff them with parties. You'll stuff them with porn, you know, whatever. You'll stuff all of that emotion. But stop. Sin not. Tell God what you're feeling, and... And look and see if there's a, a an historical emotion under that. Because if there is, there's a wound there that the Holy Spirit is using this pop quiz to help you identify. And I can't tell you the relief. And I am so thankful for it to this day. That was the moment when everything really started to turn for me. I started to realize I'm not crazy. I'm, I am wounded. <laughs> and I was embarrassed by that. But I am, and this is the root of all of my anger. My anger came out with my husband because of some silly little thing, but it was, it was the kind of offense that my dad would have done to me. And, and my husband didn't mean it in the way that my dad always had. But do you see how it, it's irrational? My husband loves me, and I knew he loved me, and I knew he didn't do it to me in the way or for the purpose that my dad would have done something similar, but it felt the same. It felt the same because I had felt that way my whole life. And when it happened, I just exploded with this rage. Why? Because there was a volcano of pain in there that had never been acknowledged. And it was the most beautiful gift, I think, one of the most beautiful gifts that God ever gave me because it set me on the path to to finding the answers learning how to get self-control, learning what the roots were. And you talk about peace. I had a peace. From that point on, I knew I was going to win this battle. I was going to win the battle over my anger and woundedness because Jesus was going to help me. (laughs) And now I'm here to tell you that Jesus is going to help you too, honey. And that's why you're here. So look for those historical emotions. And back to this idea of a battle. The battle was not with my father, the battle was not with my husband, the battle was not with any of that, the battle was in me. The battle was the woundedness and the sin. So your battle is not the people through whom the woundedness continues to come. The battle is in you. It's in your sin. It's in the woundedness under the sin. That's where the battle is. And that's why the enemy tries to keep you distracted by anxiety and worry and these people and these circumstances. He wants you to be focusing on all that because that's not the battle. You're fighting the wrong fight. The fight is not... It wasn't being right with my husband. It wasn't being right with my father. It wasn't any of that. It was this woundedness in me that was causing all kinds of other issues, and that's what I'm asking you to consider. Could this be a root of your anxiety? And I imagine that it probably is. So we must take the authority that Jesus has granted us through his death and resurrection. We take it by focusing on the proper battle. It's not those people who offend us? It's not the people who provoke us. It's not the circumstances that provoke us. It is the battle in us over sin and the woundedness that's under it. That is the true battle, and that's the one that the enemy does not want you looking at because he does not want you working on that at all. And he will do everything in his power to get in your way so that you won't work on it. He wants you to stay in anxiety because you're ineffective as a Christian, you're ineffective as a parent, you're ineffective. In every single area, because you can't be who you truly are. And that's the real attack. The real attack is on your dignity as a human being in this anxiety. He's strangling you with this anxiety to keep you from fighting the true battle, which is in this sin and woundedness idea. Okay? So we're fighting the right battle. We're taking our rightful authority because God has given us the authority to stop sinning. Now, I know that that is a radical radical idea, but you do not have to sin. You do not have to sin. If you continue to sin, you are choosing to sin. That is the truth that the Bible teaches. If you continue in a habit of sin, it's because you're choosing it. And it's if you are choosing it, then fine, but admit it. Stop pretending that you're not choosing it because you are. He wants us to acknowledge where we are so that he can help us heal. He wants us to take authority in the right battle. He wants us to walk in our dignity in Christ. Let me tell you the last part of that story. So once I realized that it was that that emotion It went back so far, and it was so deep, and I was like, holy moly, my soul is like an abyss, Lord, and and not just mine, but every human soul. It is too deep for us to ever be able to plumb the depths, so only God can do this work for us, which is why we're doing this show and why why we're working in this area. It is too complicated for us to figure out, but God can do it. He knows it. He sees it, and he will help us. And one of the ways immediately that he helped me was as the same time I was doing the study on wellness that taught me about historical emotions, I was also teaching a study on something completely, I don't even know what it was, but I was studying in Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 there's a verse in verse 15 it says what accord has Christ with Belial. Now if you followed me for any any amount of time or read my book Fearless then you you've heard this story and and if you've read Unleashed you probably heard the story of my anger and all that stuff but a lot of you are new and you don't know anything about me so this is going to be new to you you're going to love this in in 2 Corinthians 6:15 what accord has Christ with Belial or what communion has Christ with Belial. And I was like, what is Belial? So I go look it up. And it turns out that Belial is a combination of two Hebrew words, Beli and Yahal, And it means without worth. It means worthless. And what I realized is it later later in usage and in this particular verse, it's a proper name for Satan. Satan is worthless, and what does he do? He attacks your dignity as a as a child of God by making you think and feel that you're worthless through the sin that you commit and the sin habits that you have and the woundedness that you carry and all of that stuff. He, he uses that as an attack on our dignity, and he makes us feel and think we're worthless, and yet it is he who is worthless. The accuser Dear one is accusing you of the thing he is. So do not listen to the attack. It is not true. It is a lie from the pit of hell. It is a lie from the pit of hell on the the absolute dignity of your personhood in God. Your madeness, your beingness, your isness. You cannot be separated from the love of God. And we're going to talk about this next week in the next in the coming um Weeks, I cannot wait to get into this, but there's no way you can possibly be separated from the love of God. That's a real, actual, practical teaching, and I cannot wait to teach it to you. But this is the battle walk in your dignity, refuse to listen to that attack, put your hand up and say, I reject that in the name of Jesus. I am a child of God. And if you have to say it a hundred times, then you say it. And I'm going to give you in the next shows tools that you can steep yourself in that love of God and you can begin to feel it if you've never felt it. so many people that I do one-on-one spiritual consultations with have never felt God's love. And dear one, how can you give God's love to anybody if you have never received it? So I'm going to give you those tools and I cannot wait. But there is no condemnation, the Bible says, for those who are in Christ. You are his child. You you could never be worthless and you are under attack when you feel that. So name it and claim it. I am a child of God and he loves me and I am on my way to heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be free of this sin and free of this, this woundedness that I have carried all this time and free from anxiety. I'm Sonia Corbett, your Bible study evangelista.